Good morning, church. Are you ready? Good. Let's press in together. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to look at three verses this morning as we continue along in our new series. Let me get settled here. As we gather together and we open up our hearts and minds, I want to build a framework for us to kind of work within today as we look at God's Word. And that framework would be that this home, this world is not our home. And on this earth, we are not alone. There's both a physical realm bound by time, but also a spiritual realm that is here now and one that is to come. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Rick was teaching us about when we die, and we are, when we die to be our spirit goes up to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The body, the physical, bound by time, goes into the ground. But then our spirit goes up and, it be, and it's with the Lord. And there is a kingdom that is now and that there is to come. And this king, or this kingdom, we have one kingdom ruled by one king who has given us one commission, one standard to live by. And then God's people, as they are called out of darkness into marvelous light, are on this mission. And that mission given by this king in the kingdom of light is this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, this is the the part I want to zoom in on, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We have a king who has come. He has, a, he has a way that he wants us to follow, and we are called to do that very thing. It's called the kingdom of light. But there's also a dominion of darkness that we hardly ever talk about. In fact, as I've been studying, I've been almost a pastor for almost 20 years. Pastor Rick's teaching is probably the closest I've heard the dominion of darkness on a regular basis, that it's real. And I want to kind of bring this to light today. So there's a kingdom of light with a great commission and a mission for us to live by. But there's also a counterfeit kingdom with a fallen ruler, a false commission, and a failed mission that is on track right now. Satan, the ruler of the world, John 12, 31, is trying to set up a counterfeit kingdom governed by darkness, Ephesians 6, 12, and he is blinding the eyes of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, with the goal of keeping people in the dominion of darkness, Acts 26, 18. It is important for us to note that Satan has limited power. He cannot create like God, but he can counterfeit, and he's very good at it. And I would believe, as you would look through the scriptures, I don't have one scripture that I could direct you to that would quote this word for word, but as God's people, as we look through the whole counsel of God's word from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, We have something called systematic theology. Systematic theology is when we present an idea and we use scriptures to back it up. So I would present to you this morning that not only do we have a counterfeit kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of darkness, we also have a fallen ruler that is in charge of that who has limited power, but I would believe that the scriptures would pertain a counterfeit commission. And that counterfeit commission is given to powers and principalities. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities that are set up. And I believe that their great commission, which is the counterfeit commission to the gospel, is to go and blind the creation of God, to confuse them with God's holy word, to tempt them with the passions of the flesh, and do all you can from allowing them to hear the gospel and devote their lives to the kingdom. So believers are called to live in the kingdom of light, 
We live as citizens in the kingdom of light, but in the physical, we interact with the kingdom of darkness, and it is our responsibility to be careful and be wise, not bowing down or pulled into anything into the darkness or the domain of darkness. And that is a, a tension that we need to, to, to call ourselves to, uh, a tension of the church. And there is a place in the scripture that kind of outlines this for us. And I want to talk to you about that today. It's in the Old Testament. So in 605 BC, God's people were living as the nation of Israel. And they were free. They were free to love God and to worship God. Kind of like this morning. We're free to come in here, sing praises to God, pray to God, ask God to bless us, learn from God. They were free to draw close to God and live a witness to the other nations. As we know from the Old Testament, Abraham, God has a meeting with Abraham, goes outside, looks at the stars, these are the amount of people, and what, God, what is God doing? He's calling a nation of his own, his own people. And his own people were to live in such a way that the other nations would know that there was a God in heaven. There was a God that was ruling and reigning. That was the goal of God's people, to live a certain way and a certain type of life so that other people would know that God is real. So we find ourselves with this group of people, but they were taking their freedoms for granted. They wanted to be like the other nations. They became a little arrogant. We have God. They became a little lazy, and some of them backslidden. And this is how intense our God is in his patience. He sees the sin, and he waits. He knows that we have everything that we need so that we will turn from our wicked ways and trust in him, but many of us don't. And in this one account, as we look at this in 608 BC, we see that God was patient for 490 years. Man, I'm not patient for five minutes. 490 years, God's people were disobeying and disregarding God. And God had enough. Any parents in the house tonight or today, this morning? Sometimes we, we allow our kids to do things for a little bit, and then we just, there's this, that breaking point. We're just, we're done. We're not, we had enough. We're, we're doing something about this. And this is what God does. He brings justice. And what does he do? He sends a pagan, godless king named Nebuchadnezzar, a king from a place called Babylon, to come in and to conquer God's people. They do come in. Found in the book of Daniel, they come in and they ransack the city. They take everything from the temple and they force God's people to walk on this pretty much death march 700 miles from their homeland to this new homeland that will be their home. And as they walked, malnutrition, like abused, enslaved, and on this mile, on this 700 mile journey, they're going to a place where they do not want to be. They would, this would be the last place God's people will want. And they're heading there. And in that caravan is a young teenager. He's probably 14 or 15 years old, and his name was Daniel. Daniel was captured, and he was brought to this new place. And Daniel's life gives us a picture of how we can live kingdom down and not culture up, how we can live as a citizen in the kingdom of God, but also interact with the dominion of darkness and not fall to the prey of the, of the tricks that Satan is using. When Daniel gets into this new place, he is faced with a new culture, a new type of teaching, and a new king he is called to serve. 
In Daniel 1, it actually says that they went to school and they were trained for three years and then they were gonna be presented to the king. So for three years, he had to learn a new culture, a new language, a new creed, and bow down to a new king. Literally brainwashed as he went to school. He, he, he was presented with new food and was forced into this new pagan way of life and he had to adhere to sexual practices completely counter to his dreams and desires. It actually says that they found out that Daniel was part of noble inheritance, noble blood, so he was brought into the kingdom. A young 14-year-old man brought into the kingdom, brought into the king's palace around the king's women. What do you think they did to him? They castrated him. This is what Daniel is facing as a young Jewish boy. As a young Jewish boy, this young man would want to, he would want to be married. He would want to have a family. He would have loved the moment as Pastor Jordan and Jordan were up here today with Pastor Rick counseling Jordan to raise his daughter, raise, and then before that this morning, the sons, raise the son in the faith. He would have loved that moment. He probably dreamed of that moment. He would have known the scriptures Especially Proverbs 18.22, which says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. He would have wanted that moment. But he finds himself as a citizen of the kingdom, interacting with the dominion of darkness, and he's called to live a certain way. Daniel is this citizen, and he has to decide. He will have to decide. Will he live kingdom down? Or will he live Babylon up? Will he follow the nations or the nation or the king? Or will he stay true to the kingdom of God? Daniel resolved, as you read through his book, his life, he probably, he gets there around 13 or 14, we don't know for sure, and he doesn't make it back to, the, to, the, to Israel. He dies somewhere in between. And people think or Historians think or, or Bible scholars think that Daniel is now buried be somewhere between Iraq and Iran. He never made it home. But the book of Daniel shows a, a young man's life for the whole course of his life how to interact as a king or as a, as a, as a citizen of the kingdom. And as we look at Daniel's life, we can see that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He declared that he would not bow down to a false king and we can see that Daniel makes the decisions that even though everything seemed to be against him, he remembered that God was for him. He is forced to live in a godless pagan society, but chooses to live kingdom down as a disciple of the kingdom. He is given commands that are not options, but even in that, his convictions to honor the true king outweighed the potential danger he would face both in criticism and in death. Fast forward 2,600 years to present day. Not much has changed. We live in a godless society ruled by godless people who are constantly making up rules and laws and regulations that change our language, our practices, our religion, and our sexual ethics. And the same question that was proposed to Daniel is proposed to us today. Are we, as God's people, as citizens of the, king, of the kingdom, are we gonna live kingdom down or are we going to live culture up? Are you going to be like every other man we see in culture? 
Or are we gonna be like that one man who came on a mission and called his disciples to live a different way? All through history, and even now, as you look online and you hear reports, there are counterfeit kingdoms trying to be set up with counterfeit rulers. I went into Pastor Rick this week to present my sermon outline with him just to kind of, kind of check in with him. And he said, I was going over it, and he's, he, he encouraged my heart this week. Rick has been my mentor through the scriptures and teaching me how to preach. But he encouraged my heart as I was prepping. He said, Nick, this looks good. Use Daniel's life, but don't forget to mention to the congregation Daniel 7. I said, well, what's Daniel 7? He says, Nick, Daniel 7 is awesome. He says, let's look at it now. He opens his Bible and he starts reading reading it to me. And Daniel 7 is a prophecy of four beasts. These four beasts are actual lame, they're lame attempts at counterfeit rulers. But the way that are described in Daniel's dream is that they're scary and they're fearful. And the goal of these leaders are to scare the people. And often we hear rumors of war, we hear leaders that are being risen up in our, in our society and we get scared. So we start making decisions to protect ourselves. But Pastor Rick says to me, Nick, look at Daniel 7.9. I look at Daniel 7, 9, and what do we see? The ancient of days, the supreme ruler and judge comes and takes his seat. And these lame attempts at setting up kingdoms have to flee because there is one God, a true God, who is the true ruler. He is the supreme ruler over all. And our one choice today is, do we be like the men of the culture, living in fear, bowing down, or do we be like the God man who rules the kingdom? If you believe in your heart that you've been called out of darkness into marvelous light and you have a real relationship with the king, then turn with me to Matthew 5 so that we can sit under the, the, the teaching of Jesus as he will teach us how to live kingdom down and not culture up. Let me pray as you find your space. Father, we love you and we just thank you for this time and we just ask that you would come and minister to us right now by the power of the Holy Spirit and the declaration of your word. God, I pray that you would draw us in so that we would know that there is a better way to live, so that we would be aware that we are citizens of the kingdom, but we have to interact with the dominion of darkness and that we would set up the right type of things in our lives so that we are not swayed so that we have divided hearts. God, I present this time to you I pray that you would lead it. I pray that you would come and do what only you can do, as we say, saying about it this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we dive into the scriptures this morning, Matthew 5 is Jesus' first sermon. It's his first sermon to the disciples. And as you look at it, it actually says in 5.1, it says, now he saw the crowds. That's an important distinction. There were crowds around, and it says that he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. Lots of crowds. He sits on the side of the mountain, and what does he do? He calls his disciples forward, and he began to teach them. The Beatitudes blessing sermon was, direct, was a direct instruction to the disciples in the world who belonged to a different kingdom and who's, who's, who, who were called to lean in and learn from the king himself, who would lead them and train them and commission them to live out their distinctive covenantal ideas. When we look at this scripture today, I need to counsel you and just encourage you and say, nothing has changed. The authority of Christ Jesus is still the same. 
And as he is teaching these, these things to his disciples, we who are disciples can lean in and glean. This is important for us this morning. This sermon Jesus preached was directed to disciples personally, but we read that crowds were listening in. This teaching this morning is not for people just to listen in. It's not for crowds. It's for people who are disciples of the king. We who are in Christ, disciples and citizens of the kingdom of God, we're not just called to listen and observe and kind of just take what we want and walk away. No, we are called to learn this new way of living displayed by King Jesus himself. And it's super encouraging for us because we have a king who leads when you look at Matthew 5, it is the beginning of his sermon, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. It's a big instruction moment. Jesus is teaching his disciples. If you go to Matthew 8, all the way to the end, for after that section, 5, 6, and 7, and then you get to 8, Jesus gets up, and from 8 to the end, he's living out what he preached. He's literally displaying to his disciples, this is how we live. I told you. I'm going to display it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, is the very last thing that he says to his disciples. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And then he gives them this thing, this little command. He says, go and teach them everything that I've taught you, everything that I've displayed to you, everything that I counseled you in, everything that I showed you, go be that and then go teach others to do the same. So Jesus comes in Matthew 5, he explains what the kingdom is about, he explains how disciples are supposed to live, and then in Matthew 8 to the, to the end of 28, he lives it out. This is so good for us because we can actually remember and know, or know and remember that the same thing is happening for us today. This morning, as we open up our Bibles and our hearts we open up our Bibles and hearts to God in eager expectation of learning to live as a disciple in the kingdom of God. And this morning, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Matthew 5, 7 to 9. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. These three things, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Let's dive in. Number one, blessed are the merciful. As you read through the book of Matthew, you're gonna see that showing mercy is a central theme in the book. 8.3, 9.36, 14.14, 15.32, 23, Jesus is starting off and he's stating that those who live in the kingdom show mercy because the one who embodies the law, God, shows mercy. When you look back in history, history shows that kings would create these laws and then they would live by example of those laws that they wanted to enforce. And Jesus says that God shows mercy. God does not give his people what they deserve. Rather, he gives them what they do not deserve. As believers sitting under Pastor Rick for a long time, we know a lot of the scriptures and some of the scriptures that we would know right off is for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We would also know that for the wages of sin is what? Death. But God does not give us what we deserve. We all deserve death. In Psalm 25, 6, 7, it says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. 
Do not remember my sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. The merciful are those who demonstrate forgiveness towards the guilty and kindness towards the hurting and needy. God's people, the church, us here today, the merciful, we demonstrate forgiveness. When people wrong us, we have to forgive. We demonstrate that. And when people are hurting, we extend kindness towards the hurting and needy. Jesus led this. We look at Luke. We know that the crowds were following Jesus around. Jesus was on his way to Jericho in one incident. One day he was on his journey. And the crowds were following. And when the crowds were following Jesus, it was a big thing. People made a lot of noise about this. And one day there was a man who was in the town of Jericho and he was blind. Blind Bartimaeus. And he heard the noise and the crowds and everybody talking about this. And he asked somebody, he says, what's going on? And they said, Jesus is coming to town. And as the, the cheers and as the murmurs were growing, blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road screams out, son of David, have mercy on me. Picture this in your mind. Blind guy on the side of the road, can't see, screaming, son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. The scriptures record that the crowds and the people were there, they told him to shut up. Be silent, don't talk, you're not good enough here. The teacher doesn't want to talk to you. But as we know, as we read, Jesus overhears blind Bartimaeus yelling out, David, son of man, or son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes and interacts with him. Heals him. When the crowds and the people who should have been helping were telling him to shut up, Jesus was intervening. Inter he was coming alongside. The merciful are those who demonstrate forgiveness towards the guilty and kindness towards the hurting and needing. In our teaching and in Jesus' life, he clearly demonstrates the contrast between the requirements and the actions of the religious and specifically in the, in the scriptures of the religious leaders who tend to be merciless based on the demands for strict observance of the law. What does that really mean? Well, Jesus actually puts them on blast in Matthew 23, 23. These people who know the law and are supposed to live a certain way so that other people around them would know that there is a God in Israel, there's a God in Oshawa, but they're not living that way. It says in 23, 23, this, woe to you, it's a warning. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see how Jesus encompasses it all? It's not just what you give and what you do and how you display. It's how you live as well. It's how you show mercy and justice and favor and faithfulness to people who are in need. Jesus doesn't want us to claim that we are his disciples and not help or care or forgive or live in a way that doesn't reflect accurately our God and how he lives towards his people. He doesn't want that. In fact, he wants the opposite of that. Blessed is the merciful, for they shall receive 
mercy. Disciples in the kingdom honor God and they love others. Guys, this is exciting for us to do. They show care and concern for others because they recognize the great mercy of God towards them personally. Without compromising holiness, I think that's important. Without compromising holiness, they reach out beyond themselves to love and to help others know and experience the love of God. That's what we're called to do as a church. That's a part of our great mission. Without compromising holiness, we reach out beyond ourselves to love and help others know and experience the love of God. And Jesus counsels, remember how God has shown you mercy. A.W. Tozer writes this, when Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become any greater, for it was already infinite. We get the, the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. If God had, been, if God had not been merciful, there would be no incarnation, there would be no babe in the manger, there would be no man on a cross, and there would be no open tomb. Your impact on the idea and the concept and the characteristic of mercy will change others. Let me illustrate that for you. Showing mercy to somebody doesn't earn a person entrance into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of light. Rather, it is a heart attitude that opens a person to receive the offer of mercy that Jesus has proclaimed in the gospel. Living kingdom down is when a person hurts you. Anyone been hurt in the last year? We've been hurt by the government. We've been hurt by medicine sometimes. We've been hurt by our families. There's a lot of hurt in the world today. And showing mercy is like this. When a person hurts you and you do not give them what they deserve, you need to pray for me. I said this in the first service. I have an issue with Costco. Every time I go to Costco, I find the worst people in the world. I believe that Costco is a great place to get your toilet paper, but is also governed by the darkness, the, the dominion of darkness. Because every time I go out in there, I tell Pastor Jordan at least once a week that I almost get in a scrap with some man there because they're all crazy. <laughs> and there are things in my mind that I want to do, but I, do, I don't do what I want to do. Living kingdom down is when a person hurts you and you do not give them what they deserve. And when they ask you, why didn't you give me what, you do, what I deserve? Because you tell, and then you tell them, because God didn't give me what I deserve. And when you do that, you're tangibly living out Micah 6.8. You're like, what's Micah 6.8? Well, let me tell you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. God has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, this living kingdom down requires one to know and understand the mercy of God, as well as display this mercy to others, which is very different from our culture. Culture says live on demand of justice, 
in accordance to your rights dictated by your emotions. But we as a church are called to be different. We are called to live a better way. Those who receive mercy will demonstrate mercy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, once a man or woman has truly experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. Once we know and understand what we've been saved from, we will live a different way. But the danger is we live as citizens in the kingdom and we interact with the dominion of darkness and that can pull us astray. We're gonna talk about that in a second. So I would say this first, this first verse, this first teaching, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Number two, blessed are the pure in heart. As the disciples were sitting under Jesus that day, they would have, learned, they would have known and understand this passage. The, the disciples would have understood cleanliness and purity because current culture norms called for the sick to present themselves to the priests. Certain ceremonial laws would disqualify them from worship or temple sacrifice. They knew cleanliness, because they, they knew cleanliness being fishermen and tax collectors and sinners. They knew that they fell short of the standard. They were certainly not like the Pharisees or the religious leaders, but in this sixth beatitude, Jesus goes to the core, core of human life. He goes straight for the heart. The religious leaders of the time, and some people even today, believed, that, believed and modeled perfect keeping of the law was what kept the heart pure. But Jesus teaches the reversal of that thought. A heart, a pure heart is what produces external purity. A person whose single-minded loyalty to God is what makes a pure heart. A person whose single-minded loyalty to God affects every area of life. Proverbs 22 says this, he who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have a king for a friend. While the people of the Old Testament, New Testament knew the heart was evil, our hearts are evil, they're wicked, they also believed that God could bring purification as well as motiva motivation for following him. For we see in Psalm 51.10, a song that is being created, that is being cried out, and it says this, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. We renew a right spirit in me. The psalmist knew that his heart was wicked and he turns to God and says, God, only you can create in me a new heart, a good heart, a pure heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Jesus, that morning, in a roundabout way, was asking a question, what is in your heart? If your heart is for God, if it is pure, it is, if it is focused, if it is devoted, you will see God. But in a society broken and changing all the time, we have a decision. Kingdom down or culture up. But it can't be both. If it is both, it will taint the heart. It will split the heart. It will corrupt the heart. And a lot of us as Christians are doing that very thing. We live as citizens of the kingdom, but we're playing in the darkness and it's hurting our hearts. When our hearts are tainted, we are gonna go towards the things that make us feel good, comfort. 
But we know anything outside of God that we chase after may give us comfort for a moment, but often leads us wanting. Jesus is asking for us to take a careful examination. Is your heart pure? The pure of heart are those who have an undivided loyalty to God and his ways. Jesus plus something doesn't exist for them. In fact, only Jesus is what they'll usually say. And are they perfect? No. Do they sin? Yes. If you do sin, there is one who speaks on your behalf, an advocate with the Father. But they pursue holiness in Christ. They learn to say no. The church learns to say no to ungodliness and yes to obedience in Christ. And the result? Oh, they will see God. Those who have an undivided loyalty towards God in his ways will be blessed and rewarded with their greatest hope. They will see God. I cannot wait for that moment where I get to see God, to stand in his presence. And as I have scoured the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, 33,000 verses, I see a, I see a, a pattern that those who are blessed to see God fall dead before him. So I know as soon as I see God, it's going to have a a major impact on me. But I long in my heart to see God. Revelation 22.4 says that they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. But be warned. I bring warning this morning. The dominion of darkness is 100% against you having a single devotion to God. We live in a counterculture like Daniel did that was against the things of God. And the counterculture wants to pull us away from true obedience in Christ. Just look at the news over the last year, two years. Church is not essential. Gathering is not essential. The spiritual broken, the sick and the hurting are not a priority in this society. It is the church, gospel-believing churches, that are calling out and saying, let's take a look at the spiritual side too, guys. Don't forget about this. The culture is all about self and is governed by a counterfeit dominion of darkness, executing the false commission, doing everything it can to divide the heart. Their rule book consists of this rule. Look at yourself. And if you want to really talk about holiness, look at yourself and compare your life and your pursuit of holiness with other people. We do this in the church. We are learning from the dominion of darkness to use others as the standard of holiness. We look at others and we use other believers' lives to set the standard of holiness. I'm doing, be- I'm doing well because I'm doing better than those people. Other people are not the standard, ever. God is the standard. And we all fall short of the glory of God. God, though, is the standard. And God has set a standard. Pastor Rick taught us last week. His standard is for our righteousness to exceed the religious leaders of that time. And if you can't do this, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And that is scary. I remember being in Bible college, sitting under a professor, being taught this, smiling and nodding, but on the inside, freaking out, thinking, who can do this? But let me encourage your heart this morning. You can do this. We can do this. Calvary Baptist Church can do this. Because those who set their hearts on God, 
those who respond to Jesus' message of the gospel of the kingdom, those who are invited to enter into fellowship with God will experience the unthinkable. They will see God in Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We can do this. We are called to do this, to have a single devotion, to make sure that we are guarding our hearts and the hearts of the believers that we do life with, our brothers and sisters. It is not wrong to speak into a brother or sister's life, to encourage them, to bring warning, to help them to see that they may be playing in the dominion of darkness, and the result is their heart will be divided. Kingdom down disciples are pure of heart. And number three, blessed are the peacemakers. In the seventh beatitude, Jesus directs his disciples and he tells them that we are peacemakers. We are called to live as agents of peace and harmony in a broken world. How? How can we do this? In a world that is so broken, so divided, where there is a dominion of darkness leading Our government leads not under the standard of God, but under the standard of man. How can we do this? Church, by looking to Jesus. Where does our help come from? It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And Ephesians 2, 13, 14 says this, it declares this. This is good news for us. This is good news for us to tell other people. It's good news to tell ourselves when we are doubting. It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once an enemy of God is considered a son or daughter in Jesus. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. In Colossians 3, it says, Jesus himself is our very life. But for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We have a hurting nation. We have divided families. You might have divided families here today. We have tormented souls Your soul might be tormented this morning. And Christ calls us as the church to be pacemakers in our nation. We are called to be peacemakers to our family. We are called to be peacemakers to the the souls that are rocked, that don't know truth, that experience agony all the time. Disciples in the kingdom of God are those who bring the good news of peace found in Christ Jesus. We bring the gospel and we preach the gospel. Look at what Isaiah 52, 7 says. This is an encouragement for you this morning. My beautiful feet, people. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Do the people in your life, your community, your work, do they say by how you live, your God reigns? It's a good question. When you go back to Daniel's life and his witness before a pagan king, it actually says in Daniel 2, 47, Daniel ministering in a godless society in front of an all-powerful king who is throwing out threats. He comes in. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar says in 247, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Daniel was living a witness as a, as a citizen of the kingdom in the dominion of darkness and he chose to live different and the result was a pagan God giving praise to the king of kings. How are we living? In this world we have trouble but Christ has overcome and he calls us overcomers as well. Living kingdom down as citizens within a godless nation who offer peace to a restless world, those people will be known as sons of God and daughters of God. These sons and daughters, they practice peace. People see it in their lives. They believe in the sovereignty of God. They remind themselves and others that he is in control of all things. They're not lazy, they press in. When they're overwhelmed, they pray. When they're in sin, they go to the one who has brought peace between man and God, right away confessing their sins, making sure that there is no wedge between them and God. They testify to the truth of Jesus Christ and they lead others to the cross of Calvary. These peacemakers reflect the character of their heavenly father as they carry Jesus' mission of peacemaking to a broken world, to a hurting world, to a hurting family, to a troubled soul. These sons and daughters are not trying to be like the men and women of culture. They're following the one man, the God man, who is the king of the kingdom they serve. Citizens of the kingdom of light interacting and battling the dominion of darkness. How do you live? Jesus sat down that day on the mountain and he taught his disciples, blessed are the merciful, for they shall, well, they shall receive mercy. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We are all called by Jesus to live a better way if you're in him. In him. Being a Christian, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's about looking for opportunities to show mercy and grace to each other, to the broken, to the hurting. It's about being devoted to the king of kings and removing all other things that would distract from dedicated devotion to loving God and being loved by God. We put so many things in the way so God, we, we block God's love because we chase things of the world. It's about being a change agent of peace in a world of hopelessness and hostility. It's about living your life in such a way that other people say, your God reigns. Church, we are truly blessed to know and understand the peace of God. We are sons and daughters of a living king. We receive mercy and not punishment. We are all learning and devoting ourselves onto the Lord, and this is very good news. This should be encouraging to you today because the message that Jesus gave on the side of the mountain that morning is a message for all of us. And all who hear this message can draw near to God. We are not the crowds, we are the disciples. This is not just good information that you can take or leave. This is kingdom mandate. This is put in play stuff. In Christ, we show mercy. We devote our life to the mission and we are peacemakers. For those who may be here this morning or maybe watching online, and you may be a part of the crowd, outside of Christ, Stand listening in like we read in the scriptures. I plead to you, 
to call on the name of the Lord and turn and be saved. Call upon Jesus and may his mercy find you. May his peace rest upon you. May his spirit live in you. May your heart turn to the Savior and King and call you to account. May this be the day of your salvation. The word of God says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I challenge you, if you hear this message, do not harden your hearts. Turn to the Lord. Call upon him. He will save you. He will bring you into his kingdom. You will be a citizen, a son, a daughter of the Most High, the King. And to the church, we're on mission. This is so exciting. Even though we look out and we listen to the news and everything seems broken and bleak and no hope and maybe mass mandates and this vaccination, it can be overwhelming. Take heart. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is for us and not against us. He encourages us. The more that we have a divided heart with the dominion of darkness, the more we will trust in the things we see and not trust in the things that we know. We need to trust in the truth. We gotta start doubting our doubts and believing the truth. We are on mission. So let's go. Let's go and do it. Let's be exiles of mercy, peace, and purity. In a world that is hurting, grieving, and searching for truth, we are called to live a witness. Kingdom down living is a must for believers. Let's pray. Father, just thank you this morning for your mercy and grace, for, your, for the ability to have a pure heart, a single devotion to you, and that you have brought peace to our lives. You are the great peacemaker. I pray for our church this morning. I pray for this message. I pray that we would be encouraged today to step out, to look, to offer mercy, forgiveness, grace, to testify to the truth to the people that we see. God, save me from Costco (laughs) and my witness there. God, help me, help us to do the things that we are called to do. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you for living this out. And thank you for the great commission to go and make disciples. God, help us to do that very thing. We love you dearly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, the only thing powerful enough to change the rebellion of the human heart, which itself is enslaved to sin, is the truth of God in the gospel. We need to not only live saved, but we need to proclaim the truth of the one who is coming soon. We need to do both. And so we do. What a great joy it is as the church to be able to witness what God has done for us to others. So I pray as your friend and as your pastor, that God would set up divine appointments this week for you. Whether it be in the community as you do lunch today, whether it be in your household or your workplace. These moments where people would ask you, why is your life different? Why are you living this way? And you could tell them the truth. Our God reigns. He's real, he's amazing. He's with us. That's why I have this peace peace of Christ that passes all understanding. We shouldn't be this peaceful in this brokenness, in the brokenness of this world, but we are because only God can do that. So I pray that God would give us all opportunities to testify to that truth. And tonight, when you come back to gather, we'll gather in your DC groups to look for ways to encourage each other and to live this out, living a witness for God. I pray you have a great day. And if you have great testimony this next week, 
Let your pastoral staff know so that we can celebrate with you. God is on the move and we are on mission. Amen? Have a blessed day.